Today, we'd like for you to join us as we talk about interoception and how the mind-body signals get disrupted in autistics. We're going to chat about how this disconnect can result in bathroom accidents, fecal smearing, poor awareness of sickness, hunger, thirst, emotional states, and beyond. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Embracing Autism podcast. Hey, thanks for joining me. (laughs) (laughs) I always feel a little weird just rattling things off and then having to have you sit in silence. (laughs) No, I I appreciate it because it's a nice recap on what we're talking about. So I always, uh, it's always helpful to kind of uh, jog my memory a little bit. So for those of you tuning in, I just want to remind you, this is a video podcast as well. So please follow us on youtube.com slash at autism wish if you want to see the video portion of this. So today we're talking about interoception, and interoception is a fancy schmancy word for basically just how your body feels or how you kind of relate with the feelings and sensations of your body. And this is something that is often disrupted in autistics, which means people who are autistic tend to struggle in this department. And Matt, you have certainly witnessed this a lot in our kids. I'm sure you've probably witnessed it with me, but what do you think might have been I guess the most challenging part for our eldest when it comes to interoception. So I feel like there's a couple of different areas where we kind of see it peak up again. Some are um, a little bit more serious than others. Others are kind of just like, eh, okay, it doesn't really have too much of an impact kind of at face value. I think the big thing for me was probably about, I'd say like a year and a half ago, our oldest got probably one of the worst stomach bugs that she had had kind of in her life at that point. And it was probably every 30 minutes she was getting sick and she was vomiting, but she wasn't aware of it happening until probably five seconds before it actually took place because you had actually gotten sick that night as well so it was you were out of capacity or i was totally out of, out of commission yeah you were, yeah yeah commission, commission. there we go <laughs> so you were out of commission because you were too. i guess so so you were out of commission you were you were sick and so it was uh me and her kind of throughout the entire night we basically were lying on the floor like just watching tv because she was so sick she wasn't falling asleep and it was basically every half an hour she would like sit up in a panic and then within a few seconds she would throw up and i think it was difficult for me mostly because i was trying to get like a bucket or something so then she could just sit down and try and relax as best you can when you're getting sick but she i'm not sure for her if she thought it was like that was causing her to feel sick so she would almost like run away from me wherever in the living room and throw up on something so it was a ton of laundry to do but it was her not really understanding kind of how her body was kind of working like feeling like an acid build up in your stomach and then kind of like oh i kind of feel nauseated enough to kind of say like oh i really don't feel well to then kind of maneuvering yourself into a location where you are in the best location you can be to get sick which would be like a, a restroom or something but unfortunately she wasn't able to do it at that time now we have seen some improvements now because I mean you were able to witness another stomach bug (laughs) and kind of see how she had improved from last year to kind of this year and I think from what you have told me because I was out of town it sounds like there was super convenient of you to be (laughs) out of town when I'm alone with two kids and a stomach bug and then the oh yeah and then what did you do after that what did you do when you came home while we were all sick I said wife children 
What little gift did you bring us? (laughs) COVID. You brought us COVID. (laughs) So (laughs) this past couple weeks was pretty nasty for our family. Like we took two weeks. I took two weeks off of work to have like a nice holiday vacation. And instead, our whole family got hit with a stomach bug. And then Matt goes out to visit family. And when he comes back, he brings COVID back as we're still in the middle of the stomach bug. So we got hit with a double whammy of both COVID and the stomach bug at the same time. So I thought you said you wanted a COVID-cation. Oh, my goodness. No. (laughs) I will say, though, I do agree that I think our eldest child really did deal with the body awareness part of this, the interoceptive part, with the stomach bug a lot better this time around than the first time she had a stomach bug. She has really bad body awareness. And so when she used to get sick, so like last year when she got sick, it took her forever to recognize that she was going to get sick to the point where she didn't really notice until literally the second before she was going to get sick. This year, we were able to train her to understand if you start feeling these sensations, it means you need to get up and like run to the bathroom or like use a bucket or something like that. And this year, we actually managed to get some success with her starting to have some sense of awareness as to when she's going to get sick. So that was definitely a blessing for me because I was also sick. But I've definitely learned that with some things when it comes to interoception, it almost feels like, at least in our experience, that it's not really something you can teach. Like it's something that you just have to give your kids some time to kind of develop that on their own. OT has helped a lot with that sort of thing. But there is not really like this magic switch. Some kids like even grow up into adulthood and struggle with that. And that's why I wasn't sure, because I was trying to think of, like, my myself, for example, and I wasn't sure if it was similar to, like, like a feeling where you can't tell, like, if you're, like, hungry or kind of, like, slightly nauseated. Is it kind of like that feeling? Like, you're, you are having a hard time reading, like, the impulses of, like, what your body is kind of sending you as far as feedback? Is that, I mean, kind of what your experience has been? So basically, interoception is kind of like every person has this sense of awareness of their body. So like when you're laying still in your bed, you tend to notice like how fast your heart is racing or how slowly it's going. Like you can tell that if your heart is racing fast, most people can tell I must be stressed. I must be scared. You can associate an emotion to what you're feeling to your body. Or you can tell like if your muscles are tensing up or if your muscles are relaxed and loose. It's the same deal with your stomach. You can feel if your stomach is tightening up or all these signals that your body would give your brain to kind of hint at what you might be feeling or maybe predict something you might be experiencing soon. Now, the thing with that is when that becomes disrupted in your system, then that can also lead to difficulties with not just like the physical aspects, like we're talking about like things like getting sick and things like that, but it can also lead to challenges with like the emotional aspect. For example, if you can't really feel or understand the feeling of your chest tightening, you might not be aware that you are currently feeling stress or anxiety. That's why interoception is such an important component when it comes to autism, because it can impact things like whether or not you have an accident on your way to the bathroom or whether or not you respond appropriately to the emotion that you're experiencing, basically. 
Well, it's interesting that you mentioned kind of the emotional element because I, I didn't even think about it until you just mentioned it. But I'm thinking of our youngest and sometimes she'll go from everything is perfectly fine to kind of her in tears crying. And then when we ask her like, hey, like what's what's going on? What's wrong? She'll just kind of say like, I'm sad. And then like, obviously like we'll comfort her and give her like a hug and try and figure out like, why are you feeling sad? Or what? I mean, it might be something as simple as like, she hears a song that somehow triggers a very emotional response for. But I didn't even think about that. It's a complete flipping a switch normal to full-blown like tears and just very very sad and no notice whatsoever and then we're kind of like what just happened but i wonder if that could also be kind of linked to it as well i didn't even put the two together actually yeah honestly if you think about like that specific scenario it could be that the sadness that she's feeling is being triggered by whatever physical thing she's feeling at the time so like remember when little kids like when they're very little let's say they're like two or three that when they get scared their reaction is more like to cry and be sad and usually that's initially because they're associating that sensation that they got in their body when they were scared with something that they don't like and therefore they're sad it's not that Hmm the scary thing made them sad it's that the cycle like it triggers a response and then they're sad because of the feeling of the response if that makes Mm. sense it's kind of like we all feel emotions differently in our body for example if you're going to be speaking in public your body might feel a specific way so you might get like that heart racing feeling you might get shaky your breathing can get shallow and these sensations are the things that let us know that we're feeling nervous so if you can't clearly feel these sensations then it's difficult for an autistic person to be able to identify the emotion that they're feeling. Hopefully that makes sense. It's a little complex to explain. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, I think it overall, I think it makes sense. Yeah. And then we've kind of noticed that she gets kind of stressed easily. And whenever she gets stressed or highly distracted with something, it almost seems like she loses her ability to pay attention to those body signals. Even when she is paying attention, it's like it has to be at a quite high intensity. For example, if she has to use the restroom, it's got to be like she really has to go before she finally gets that signal to her brain that says she has to go. So it's kind of like always playing a game of like chicken where you don't know if you're going to like make it or not. (laughs) Right. And that's why, I mean, as far as like definitely like prompting, like periodically, especially if she's drinking a lot of water or whatever, just kind of prompting like, oh, do you need to use the restroom? Just jogging her memory a little bit. Like if we try and have her kind of stop what she's focusing on and disrupt it a little bit where she's able to at least think long enough to, do I need to use the restroom? Sometimes we're able to catch her in that moment when then she's like, oh, okay, I do. But again, it's kind of hit or miss. If she's not able to break that, then it kind of keeps amping up the excitement of whatever she's working on. And then it's kind of the it's go time. She either makes it or she doesn't make it. So it definitely has its challenges. But I think trying to just break the cycle a little bit and try and mention, hey, do you have to use the restroom as much as possible and kind of hope for the best a little bit? Yeah, I think adding routine to that sort of thing, specifically with things that are predictable. So like, for example, the restroom, you know, your kid is going to have to use the restroom at some point in time. So if they're not able to figure out when they have to go, then one of the things you could do is kind of predict that routine and create it. If they just drank something or they just ate watermelon or like something like that, where you know that they're going to have a lot of fluid intake or a lot of food intake, then you know that within the next like hour or so, they're probably going to want to have to use the restroom. And that's when you can start just scheduling breaks. Just tell them, hey, let's go take a trip to the bathroom rather than asking them if they need to go to the bathroom. Because chances are, if you ask them, they might not even know the answer. Like our kid will tell us all the time, 
no, I don't need to go. No, I'm not hungry. And then we offer her food or we bring her to the bathroom. And of course, she was starving or of course, she actually really had to go. So I would not rely on their like self-reporting and instead just kind of build in those breaks or those check-ins just to kind of like assume that they do need that break and they aren't necessarily going to ask for it. And we actually experienced that a little bit uh, tonight. So, I mean, we had pizza as a family. So we're kind of all sitting down, getting everyone's pizza and plates and everything. And so the youngest was already at the table, started to eat. You had yours. And we're kind of mentioning to our oldest, like, hey, it's time for dinner. Do you want pizza? It's over here. And just, no, I'm not hungry. And we're like, it's pizza. Everyone loves pizza. <laughs> and so we're like, I'm not sure if that's accurate. So then like we kind of get her over to the table because I think we I think we got her orange juice and she's obsessed with orange juice. So she came over for the drink and then she noticed, oh, there's pizza here. And then she started eating way too much pizza. But I mean, she was she was going along with the, oh, I'm not hungry. And then we even had a hard time even getting her to bed because she kept wanting to keep going back to the table and getting more pizza. So it's definitely interesting because you're right. You can't really take what they say initially at face value because that may or may not be how they're actually feeling or they might not even know what they're actually feeling. I did a little bit of like research into studies on interoception and autism. And the only thing I could find was like two studies. So like apparently there's not very much research being done on this. I don't know why, because there clearly is a relationship. But the two studies found that in the sensory systems, the interoceptive system specifically has been found to be impacted in those who are autistic. But again, for some reason, they're only hardly researching it. So there's only the two studies. But they found that the participants basically have a lower awareness to these internal body signals. The problem with that is that sometimes parents don't understand when a child is doing something intentionally or unintentionally. For example, is parents getting upset because their autistic child keeps wetting themselves and they think that they must be doing it intentionally because let's say they're 10 years old or something like that, or maybe they were potty trained and sometimes they do use the restroom. Sometimes the parents think, well, they've been able to use the restroom before, therefore it must be that they're doing this intentionally. But the thing is, when it comes to interoception, first of all, this could be kind of like a lifelong thing. For me, for example, I have a really hard time knowing when I'm hungry. I tend to not know until I'm starving. So I tend to like not eat throughout the day. And then for dinner, I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm starving. And I'll have like a big dinner. That's why I have such a hard time with feeding and eating and all that stuff. So it does go into adulthood. And there are adults, autistic adults that I've spoken to who still have toileting issues as adults for the same reason, because they can't tell when they have to go and they'll have an accident. So there are adult autistics who still rely on tools and stuff to kind of help them with that. So the reason I say all that is because I think it's important that parents realize that this is like a neurological, physiological thing that's happening. And you can't really pressure kids or get upset with kids or autistic adults who can't seem to respond to these body signals the way a neurotypical person would. It really is outside of their control. Now, there are things you can do, like you can go and put your kid in occupational therapy and they can work on this. The OT can help the kid learn to associate certain signals with what they mean. For example, a kid might know that they have pressure in their tummy, but they might not know that that means that they might have to use the restroom. An OT could help them combine the signal with what it is. They might teach them, hey, when you're feeling this, this is what it could mean and kind of help them work through that process. 
But there's some kids that can't do that because they don't feel it. So it might be that they're undersensitive. They might just never feel that pressure. And so with those kiddos, that tends to be the ones that have more of that like lifelong struggle with it because it really is something that you can't really do much about if it's that more kind of extreme case. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you would basically just have to schedule in bathroom breaks every I don't know, half hour or whatever, at least to try to see if they have to use the restroom. I mostly think of like my own childhood, my mom taking us to like the mall or something and with like the three of us and her asking us like before we like leave to like drive home, like we're going to try and use the restroom. So it's kind of like sometimes we didn't think we needed to use the restroom, but like we tried and then we're like, oh, okay, I guess we did have to use the restroom after all. So I mean, as far as like kind of getting like a schedule together might help in some of those cases. Yeah, I tend to do that. Like if I know that we're going to take our kids out anywhere, I will always ask them first. If they need to go, they almost always will say no. So I will bring them and sit them down anyway. And most of the time they do have to go. But at least that way I'm associating the question with the action. I'm hoping that over time they'll understand that when I ask you the question and you go like the two of those things go together and hopefully eventually they'll understand. Or also just like the routine, like before, like we leave the house, we try to use the restroom because we know that we're going to be in the car and it might be 45 minutes, an hour until you might actually be able to use the restroom again. So just kind of the association of before we leave the house every time, let's try to use the restroom just so we don't have to worry about it down the road. Yeah, and that's part of like creating that routine or that visual schedule type of thing. For example, with me and my eating habits, one of the things that you can do is just built in certain times. So I have found it much easier. And this is easier said than done when when you're a parent of special needs kids. But if you can manage it, one of the things I do sometimes is schedule when I eat very specifically. And I'll have like alarms set on my phone for like every three hours, like to make sure that I have either a snack or a meal every three hours. And so you can do that with your kids where if they're an older kid, they have these watches that you can put on them and you can schedule times on the watch for either potty breaks or for like feeding breaks, but it'll give them like an auditory reminder, like a beep, like, hey, it's time to go. And that way they know that, okay, I haven't gone for a certain period of time or I haven't eaten for a certain period of time. And then they'll know that it's a reminder of, hey, I should probably try or I should probably eat something. Those tools are helpful even through adulthood. For me, I usually would do that for food because I would forget when I was trying to like really get healthy about this. And so that is really useful for people, not just like with autism, but things like ADHD and executive dysfunction. It helps for kiddos who experience those things as well. Especially uh, for the older kids. I mean, that's a good idea. Try and use technology as much as possible if you're capable of actually using the technology because it will make your life easier. I'm actually guilty of not using technology and it makes my life very difficult. So, I mean, I, I like the idea of having a set schedule. When it goes off, you know, oh, okay, it's time that I need to eat. So I remember to kind of stay on track so I don't get too hungry or if I become dehydrated or something along those lines. I mean, I think it's a great idea to try and maximize your use of technology for whatever your needs are. I mean, it's, it's a good idea. <laughs> The other thing that people don't tend to think about when it comes to interoception is it can actually impact social relationships in a way. And people don't realize that if you have poor interoception, it actually can impact your ability to empathize with other people. It can impact your empathy because it makes it harder for you to be able to take on somebody else's perspective. 
if somebody else is feeling certain physical symptoms, for example, and they know that those symptoms are associated with an emotion like anxiety, sadness, distress, but you don't because you're not aware of that, then you might accidentally or your child or an autistic person might accidentally respond inappropriately to that person, not knowing that that person is going through something because they don't understand the connection between those body symptoms and the emotions. So that's another thing to consider is that not only does this impact how your child feels, but like if they are witnessing you experiencing these outward signals, essentially, that to anyone else would signal like you are tired, you are upset, anxious, something like that. We have to kind of like step back as parents and understand and empathize that our children might not be understanding that from us. They might not be getting that message from us in the way that a neurotypical person would. That is interesting. I didn't really think about that. I don't necessarily struggle with that. So I don't know how it's perceived from kind of the outside looking in kind of from an alternative perspective. But that I mean, that does raise, I mean, a lot of questions as far as like, as far as like the understanding for more complex emotions that they might run into or loved ones might be engaging as far as I mean, obviously not necessarily so much like being sad or something, but kind of a little bit more complex emotions, maybe anxiety, (laughs) emotions that are a little bit more complex that you kind of know the feeling, but as far as like trying to explain it, unless the person themselves has actually felt it, it's kind of almost difficult to explain kind of your thought process, how you're feeling physiologically. It's a hard word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not good with the words. (laughs) It's tricky. Um, But no, but, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, a good point. I didn't really think about that until now. Another thing that people don't think about is also fecal smearing. That tends to be an issue in autism. It tends to be more for those kiddos who are more on the higher support needs end of the spectrum. There's a lot of theories as to why, and it could happen, honestly, for a variety of reasons. But one of the theorized reasons is a sensory interoception issue where your child might be participating in fecal smearing because they don't quite understand what the relationship is between their body and basically the product of their body. Like They don't really understand that. And so where a neurotypical person would understand exactly what's happening with our digestive process. Oftentimes, an autistic who might be on that more severe end or might not have as much good interoception might be kind of stressed out about what's happening. Like, imagine if you didn't have that connection to your body and you didn't really know. Like, I just picture, like, for example, those stories of like women who are pregnant and didn't know it and then they just suddenly are having a kid in the ER. You don't expect this. Like, you just don't know what to do with it. And I, I kind of anticipate that sort of sensation for somebody who has that disconnect with their body and doesn't know what's happening. And so like that can be anxiety inducing, but there are also kids who just get curious and they might play with it. They might not really know what it is, not understand what it, where it's coming from. So it could spill into more of a sensory component as well. That is something that OTs, again, will help work with your child if your child does involve themselves in fecal smearing. So I would definitely recommend working with an occupational therapist. But you can also kind of substitute that fecal matter basically with something that is kind of similar in texture, but safe to play with. There's a couple different things you could do. So like you could do like Play-Doh, kinetic sand, you could try slime or putty or all sorts of kind of mushy textures to distract them from it and basically redirect them. 
Which brings me to one of our sponsors. You're laughing because you knew it was coming, didn't you? <laughs> oh, I know. I was waiting for the, the drop. <laughs> our sponsor today for this episode is Kawaii Slime Company, and they've got really cool, awesome slimes. I actually want a couple for myself, so just check it out. Are you looking for a creative sensory outlet for you or a loved one? Kawaii Slime Company provides a unique array of designer slimes for every special interest you or your child may have. They come in a variety of textures, themes, and colors, but this fluffy Japanese cheesecake is a personal favorite of our child's. It's got just the perfect amount of stick and jiggle, while also providing some fine motor skill practice. Ideal for the little chef or sensory seeker in your life. Check out the link in the description box below to snag this slime and others. And don't forget to use the discount code AUTISMWISH15 to get 15% off your order today. So again, that discount code is AutismWish15 at KawaiiSlimeCompany.com. I love the colors. It's really impressive as far as the different colors and <laughs> such. So yeah, for those of you on audio only mode, you need to see the video because honestly, the slime is so cool. It literally looks like a fluffy Japanese style like cheesecake. A cupcake. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> they have really cool ones where you can like just replicate really cool things like bubble baths and stuff like that. But you know, side note. If you support these products, essentially you're supporting us. We do get a kickback, but it helps us basically continue to do what we're doing at Autism Wish and helps us continue to run our programs. Back to the topic, interoception. I basically just want to like wrap this up with really emphasizing the fact that interoception is a very complex issue. It's something that, again, not even all psychologists fully understand. Therapists don't fully understand. There's only been like two studies, maybe a handful of studies done on the connection between autism and, and interoception. But those studies are showing that there is that connection. So I think it's really important that we empathize with our kiddos and other autistic adults who might be struggling with that like body awareness relationship and have patience because things that come easy to some people are difficult for others. And sometimes we as parents kind of just assume if I could do it, you must be able to do it. And we get frustrated with our kiddo. But I think it's important to remember that our kiddos have unique struggles. And so sometimes we just have to take things at a slower pace and try a different path. But I also like the idea as far as like changing your perspective a little bit, because I didn't even think about as far as the emotional understanding regarding like complex emotions for these various situations. So as far as like the fecal smearing, there might be a disconnect from understanding as far as the emotional feeling of like disgust or something along those lines. So if you don't understand that emotion, then that brings in a question like, oh, okay, that must be another struggle that you're contending with in addition to this. So it is interesting to kind of change your perspective and kind of take a step back and try and analyze the world through a different lens because, I mean, it can change your entire perception of how they view the world. Yeah, I agree. So that's all that we have for you guys today. Remember to like, share, subscribe. And if you're listening on the audio podcast, check out our YouTube channel if you want to see the video or if you are interested in the product that we mentioned, that link is in the description below and it will also be in our podcast description. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Autism Wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.